Welcome to Doathon. I'm Victoria Milko. This week, Doathon travels to Oila Village in Shan State's Namkant Township, where six female Ta'ang National Liberation Army medics were killed in July. The TNLA says the women were raped and tortured before being killed by Tatmadaw soldiers, while Myanmar's military says the women died in the course of battle. The incident highlights some of the many issues needing to be overcome in Myanmar's peace process, particularly in building trust with those groups who have not signed the National Ceasefire Agreement, which includes the TNLA. Here's the full story. A white-gray pile of human bones and ashes fills a shallow grave on a mountain near Oila Village in Namkank Township. The mound contains what residents say are the remains of six female Ta'ang National Liberation Army medics who were killed by Tatmadaw soldiers in July. Standing at the graveside is the brother of one of the victims, who joined the search for the woman after they went missing. I tried to make myself strong as much as I could until I saw her dead body. The skull was cracked and there was no brain inside. The skull was empty, her face had kept its shape, so we could identify her. But if you touch it, it disintegrated. Exactly what happened in the hours before the medics were killed is unclear. Both the Tatmadaw and the TNLA have issued statements. The Tatmadaw was quick to exonerate its soldiers and claims the women were killed in the course of battle, while the TNLA has said they were detained, raped, tortured, and murdered. If the latter is true, those responsible may be guilty of war crimes under international human rights law. But the killings are largely unremarkable and certainly not unusual. For decades, ethnic minority groups have documented torture, rape, and other atrocities, which they say are used as weapons of war. Despite increasing calls for justice and accountability, the killings highlight a grim reality of Myanmar's long-running conflicts. Communities in many parts of the country are caught up in a war that shows no sign of ending, while those responsible for the violence continue to act with impunity. On July 11th, a column of about 30 Tatmadaw soldiers walked north along a mountain path towards Oila village in northern Shan State. The route shadows the Shui oil and gas pipelines that link Cha Pu and Rakhine State with China's Yunnan province, and whose construction earlier this decade augmented the militarization of this remote corner of northern Shan State. The soldiers, whom residents and Ta'ang activists say were from the Tatmadaw's notorious 88th Light Infantry Division, turned onto a narrow road. One side of a mountain rises sharply, and the other is a cliff. On that stretch of the road, at about 1.30 p.m., they encountered a group of TNLA members who were hitching a ride with Chinese employees of a mining company. That's about all that everyone agrees on. From here, accounts of that day begin to diverge. The Tatmadaw has said that the troops met at 30 insurgents on the road, including five women, while conducting a clearance operation. The TNLA said that 13 of its members were traveling in two cars, five soldiers in the first car, two soldiers and six medics in the second. It said the convoy was ambushed and that two of the TNLA soldiers fired at the Tatmadaw. Villagers from Oila, meanwhile, told Frontier that they found the bodies of seven people. One TNLA soldier who they said they believed was killed on the spot, and six medics who they say were captured with three other Chinese mine workers and then detained separately. The other TNLA soldiers appear to have escaped. Oila is about two kilometers away. Villagers said that they heard a gunfight that lasted seven or eight minutes. 
they also recalled hearing three explosions. The Tatmadaw said the surviving TNLA soldiers retreated to the north about 20 minutes after the initial encounter. A statement released on Facebook by the Tatmadaw's True News Information Team said its soldiers seized a Toyota truck that was damaged after being plunged down a ravine, along with the bodies of three men and five women in camouflage uniforms and a cache of guns. Some three hours later after the gunfight, at 5 p.m., the bodies were properly buried near the scene, it said. It does not reveal what happened in the interim, and Frontier was unable to reach the Tatmadaw spokespeople for further comment. The Tatmadaw soldiers then appeared to have spent the night beside the road. Frontier saw the remains of several fire pits where villagers said the soldiers had made their campsite. It was meters away from a grave where they said the TNLA soldier was originally buried. His body was later moved into the forest, near those of the medics. Frontier found more than 50 bullet casings at the scene, which had markings that specialists said indicated they had probably been produced at Tatmadaw Munitions Factory, although it is impossible to confirm who fired them. The morning after the shootout, villagers say the Tatmadaw soldiers went to Oila with three Chinese mine employees and ordered the village head to avoid the site of the fighting for five days. They said the soldiers then took two of the mine employees, who were injured, to a hospital in Mansi Township in neighboring Kachin State. Despite the order to stay away from the area, the following evening a search party including residents Oila ventured out to look for the medics. The following day, June 14th, they found a heap of soil weighed down with rocks on an overgrown mountain path. Underneath it were the stacked bodies of six women, residents say. Those who found the bodies said the women had multiple cuts and wounds, as well as signs of mutilation. Uh, all the bodies get, uh, some are get shot and some are like, they beat. Torture. They mm-hmm. torture them. And three, three uh, women, they do not have their bone. And so uh, all the villagers, they believe that um, this is, they, they torture and they kill. Some, they believe that uh, it's, they has been raped, uh, but nobody saw that. According to the brother of a victim, one of the women was not wearing underwear when they found her body. The others appear to have been carelessly reclothed, which he said suggests there had been sexual assault before they died. After exhuming the bodies, TNLA representatives took photographs, villagers say. One of these was posted on July 16th to the group's official Facebook page. They immediately cremated the bodies where they found them. Video footage obtained by Doa Thon appears to show an individual performing funeral rites before the bodies were burned. Villagers say the TNLA soldiers ordered them to delete photographs from their phones and refused to allow families to collect the remains for traditional ceremony because the group intended to build a memorial service elsewhere. They believed they were told to delete footage for their security, and they said they had obeyed instructions. TNLA spokesperson Major May Ake Chaw told Doa Thon the order was intended to prevent photos and videos from going viral on social media. He said it could violate the rights of the deceased and their families, adding the TNLA had first conducted a forensic investigation and that it was a traditional practice of war to cremate anyone killed in battle without delay. However, Yangon-based analyst Mr. David Matheson said it was very unusual for the TNLA to instruct civilians to destroy evidence when a case is still open. If the incident unfolded as the TNLA described, then the photo evidence could have been used to compel the Tatmada to conduct a proper investigation. But he also noted that visual evidence supplied by ethnic armed groups is not always credible. Matheson also called on the TNLA to conduct an investigation in order to seek justice for those who were killed. Mai Aikcha said the TNLA would not seek an independent investigation, but instead called on the Tatmada to investigate the case and take action against those responsible.
A detailed Burmese language statement issued by the TNLA on August 6 complicates the situation further. It says the medics were brutally tortured and raped through the night of July 11th and executed the following morning. This account, it said, is based on testimony from four drivers from the mining company who were captured along with the medics and local villagers. The drivers reportedly told the TNLA the medics were arrested during the gunfight on the afternoon of July 11th, then blindfolded and taken away as prisoners of war. The statement said the mining company employees were held around 200 meters away from the women, on the other side of the hill, and they had reported hearing the cry and wail of the medics the whole night. It concludes that the medics were killed between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. on July 12th because villagers said they heard the sound of gunfire at that time from a place where the medics were kept. However, when Doathan visited the village last month, none of the villagers mentioned having heard gunfire on July 12th, though they described the sounds of the gunfight July 11th in detail. My Ike Cha said he didn't know why they failed to mention the second round of gunfire to Doathan. With the TNLA did not shut their mouths, whatever they know, they can say to media. I think perhaps they forget it or were afraid to speak out. Civil society groups have long accused the Tatmadaw of employing a systematic pattern of torture, sexual assault, and extrajudicial killing in conflict areas including in parts of northern Shan State, home to the Ta'ang. Local and international groups have also documented similar atrocities in other parts of the country, notably in Kachin and Rakhine states. Some of the most brutal assaults have been attributed to the Army's light infantry divisions, including the 88th, which specialize in counterinsurgency and jungle warfare. Ethnic armed organizations such as the TNLA have also been accused of war crimes, particularly in northern Shan State. Villagers have reported abductions and killings. The UN said in its most recent annual report on acts of violence by armed forces that two members of the TNLA allegedly committed rape in October 2017, while villagers in Oyla told Doathan that the Ang army has a policy of forced recruitment. They said the TNLA expected at least one member of each family to enlist. The brother of the medic denied that this amounted to forced recruitment. Civilians were happy to join the revolution, he said. It was not clear whether he was speaking freely, however, as the area is under the influence of the TNLA's Brigade 1, and another villager was recording the interview. His sister volunteered to join the army, he said, because their younger siblings were at school, and the family also felt it would be safer for a woman to enroll. The night before she died, his sister told him by telephone that she wanted to leave the TNLA and asked if he might take her place. Her feet were badly cut from trekking through the jungle, he said, and she was exhausted. My Ake Cha said the TNLA required every Ta'ang family with two or more sons aged between 18 and 35 to send one to serve in the army. Since we started the revolution, most of the men who are qualified to enlist join our army willingly. In some villages, we need to go around and inform those families with eligible men, like about our recruitment policy although we don't penalize those who do not join. He said the TNLA only recruited men and that its female members joined voluntarily. Mostly we appoint them as medics after their training. Among siblings, if a woman is serving with the TNLA, we don't require her brothers to join. The brother of the medic suggested that the TNLA was partly responsible for her death. While the Tatmadaw's actions were inhumane, he said, the TNLA could have better protected the women. The TNLA said in its first statement that two soldiers were responsible for the medic's security. One was shot dead, while the other escaped. Above all, the killings highlight the vulnerability of communities in conflict areas. Most are remote and difficult to access. 
Oila is a two-day trek or five-hour motorbike ride from Namtu, the nearest town. Villagers say there are no police station in Oila or in the surrounding villages, and that the administrators are elder members of the Ta'ang community who report to the TNLA. The remoteness means atrocities can go unreported and undocumented, although this is slowly changing. The national rollout of mobile phone networks since late 2014 and proliferation of camera-equipped smartphones has enabled civilians to document and share evidence of extrajudicial killings, torture, sexual violence, and the destruction of property, mostly on Facebook. This has sometimes forced the Tatmadaw to issue statements defending its soldiers' actions, or even to admit abuses have taken place. In recent years, the Tatmadaw has, under pressure from local people, occasionally punished soldiers involved in human rights abuses, although its military tribunals are secretive, and there's no evidence that the convicted soldiers serve their sentences. There are several other major obstacles to justice. In its 2018 report, Seeking Accountability for Ending Impunity in Burma, the Legal Aid Network said Myanmar's laws tend to conflict with international laws, including the Geneva Conventions, to which Myanmar is a party. The report also pointed out that the Tatmadaw is still exempt from civilian oversight under the 2008 Constitution. At the national level, due to a lack of jurisdiction, independent existence, and competency, civilian courts are unable and unwilling to seek accountability for heinous crimes allegedly committed by the Myanmar army, the report says. At the grave near Oila, the brothers of one of the victims crouched and picked up a bone from the pile. Asked if he believed in the potential for justice, he said he's not even sure if laws were violated. This kind of thing is really terrible and inhumane, so I'm wondering if there are laws or agreements that prohibit such act. What I mostly hope is that other people can know the real case, how it's happened. I want them to find the truth. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Doathon. The program this week was put together by Zarni, Victoria Milko, Claire Hammond, and Charlene Tun. You can read the above-mentioned news and other interesting articles via Frontier Myanmar's website and Facebook pages, where you can share your thoughts freely. Please stay tuned for next Wednesday's episode and visit the Doathon Facebook page. This project to support human rights reporting is a partnership between Frontier Myanmar and Foundation Herendel, funded by the Embassy of the Netherlands in Myanmar. Thanks for staying with us while broadcasting.